Welcome to The Alternative Investor, the show where we discuss, debunk, and demystify all things about investing in alternative assets. All right, Brad. Grayson. How are you? I am wonderful. I'm really looking forward to Thanksgiving tomorrow. Oh, me too. What's your favorite dish? I like the uh, marshmallow-covered sweet potatoes. Oh, good God. (laughs) Those things are good. Nice, like a heart attack. Like a golden crispy brown on top. How, um, do, you, right. how do you not say stuffing, man? Stuffing's the, the it's just not, it's not my thing. Oh, okay. Uh, all right, Brad, Come I got good news and bad news for yeah. you. Yeah, what's the good news? You know, all right, good news is if you own an asset right now, so a business or a piece of real estate, it's a good time to sell. Oh. Yeah, your your stuff is expensive. So obviously there's bad news. Uh-oh. The bad news is if you're out there looking to buy a company or a piece of real estate, man, stuff is expensive. Yeah, it's a little pricey right now. Yeah, so we're t- so the, today's episode is going to be around asset prices and uh, you know what's going on out there that well, at least what we're seeing and how that you know you it's not all bad. It's yeah, not, don't lose hope. <laughs> don't lose hope. Doesn't mean everything's ex- too expensive. Doesn't mean you need to go to the beach. Okay, so let's start with what's ex- okay. So uh, tr- you know traditional assets are expensive. We know that, right? The stock market's had whatever this has been a ten year run. Nosebleed even, levels, even though it's dropped a little lately, it's still expensive. Uh, but, you know, and that filters down to the alternative investments as well, right? So what do you, you know, alternative investments are expensive. What are you seeing in real estate? You know, talk us through kind of what you're seeing around pricing. Yeah, it feels like the prices have gone up anywhere from 10 to 25% over the last five years. And if you can translate that to a cap rate, you know, that kind of looks like uh, for really well-located big markets for office properties or apartments, you're looking at the cap rate which is the unlevered return going from, you know, 5% uh, down to 4% is, is kind of a common uh, Delta right okay. over the last five years. So that's gone from a, a, a 20 multiple on net operating income to a 25 multiple. So what that's 20% okay, more yeah, expensive. So just to make it real, right. A build, you got a building, you got $1 million of net operating income um, at a five cap rate. That would be 20 million bucks, right? You'd pay for that building. Yeah. And now you're saying that same building is at a four cap rate and it's more like 25 million bucks. Yeah. So sorry, and that's then, 25% more expensive, right? You're going from a four cap to, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 25% more expensive and it was 20% less expensive. Yeah. I, I, I always got that wrong on the piece set back in, back in <laughs> high school. Okay. So yeah. So you've, you've seen asset prices going up in real estate. I mean, that's a good example. You know, we're seeing the same thing on the private equity side. It's like, it's just crazy right now. And, you know, businesses that, you know, maybe would have gone for five, six, seven times the profit, right? EBITDA, we say, you know, I think we did an episode on EBITDA, earnings before interest, taxes, and depreciation and amortization. You know, those used to, maybe those were five, six, seven times EBITDA, you know, four, five, six years ago. And now those are seven and 10 times EBITDA, right? And there's, and there's some crazy technology companies out there that are trading for very high multiples of revenue, right? So you might have, you know, some software, very fast growing software businesses right now are trading for five or six times revenue, which is which is which is just expensive, right? If you think about a company doing four million dollars in revenue, this is not a large business. Um, but if it's growing fast and it's a high quality asset, uh, you know, I guess like that, that is an important caveat because there's plenty of businesses that are are not high quality and they're not getting these kind of prices. But um, you know, four million dollar revenue business might be getting you know one hundred twenty million, twenty five million bucks for that. So wow, yeah, yeah. So it's expensive. Um, However, you know, I think, I guess it's important to note that that doesn't mean everything's too expensive, right? Of course not. Yeah. Sometimes you, you could buy something and you feel like you're 
you're overpaying and you look back five years you know, from then and you're like, geez, we got to steal, right? It doesn't mean that just because things seem expensive or are expensive right now, it doesn't mean that there aren't high quality assets that, that you should try to own even at these multiples. Right. In, in the words of the great Fred Wilson, the venture capitalist out of New York City, who just recently wrote a blog post on this. Or did we just steal this concept from him? <laughs> I think we did. Thanks, Fred. Yeah. Uh, you know, you really don't know if you've overpaid for something until it kind of plays out, right? Until you at the end, you know, at the end of the lifetime of the investment, you can see what everybody made. And that's when you can really, you know, count your chickens, I guess. Yeah. And because it's they've, a, they've hatched. And it's, it's really easy for somebody who did not buy that asset to be like, oh, they overpaid. Right. Yeah. Oh, geez. they just they just spent too much, and because you kind of feel bad, you didn't buy it, right? Yeah. Do you remember when in, uh, Facebook bought Instagram back in whatever that was? I, I don't even know. vividly remember it because I was like, "Wait a minute, they got what do they got? Like ten employees, and they had offered a billion dollars? Yeah, I and remember, they didn't take it. I remember seeing that article and just being like, "What? No, no, they did take it. No, Facebook. Oh, what am I thinking? I'm thinking yeah, what's I think the one that didn't take it? Maybe when I think Yahoo or, offered to buy Facebook, and then Facebook offered to buy Snap. I don't know. There's a bunch of Snap. I mean, yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah. So when Facebook bought Instagram, I think yeah, I think it was what you just described. You know, they had like ten or twelve employees. They paid about a billion bucks. I can give or take. And I remember everyone just freaked out, right? They're like, oh my gosh, you know, this is a sign of the times. But, you know, I don't know what Instagram's worth for Facebook now, but it's got to be, you know, Facebook's a few hundred billion dollar company. I got to believe face, Instagram some reasonable percentage of that. I don't know, 20, 30 billion. So it's just... It's, oh, they'd be in real trouble without it. Yeah, right. I mean, this is like where everyone's going on social media. So I think our point there, you know, we're not, you know, we're not to evaluate that investment, but that seemed like they way overpaid at the time. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, I think looking back, you, you can see they didn't. Okay, so then why did that work out? So that worked out because there was a lot of growth opportunities and a lot of revenue ways to move the the needle, so to speak, on that company. So even though the multiple on the existing profit was high, doesn't mean that it wasn't a good deal for the the potential of that asset. Yeah, and I think that's kind of our point, right? Is that you you have to really dig into the investment opportunity, really understand where the you know where where the cash flows are going to be coming from in the future. Is there a growth opportunity here? How is that growth opportunity going to be realized? And if you believe that and you buy into the story, then it's worth paying the prices that are that are getting paid right now, right? Yeah. And in, in my world, you know, we see this when we're buying, you know, a manufactured housing uh, community from uh, somebody that's owned it for 20 years and hasn't raised the rent to market. And so what looks like a five cap or a 20 multiple, when you're buying it, the rents are maybe half of what they should be. So over the next couple of years, you, you raise them to market. And in reality, that was a 10 cap, but it just looked like it was crazy expensive on the existing income. Yeah. Yeah. And we, and I think on the private equity side, uh, you know, we'll find companies that are, they're expensive, but you look at the growth plan and, and you believe that and you say, hey, look, you know, there's a lot of future customers out there that are waiting to buy this product. We're going to be able to sell to those customers and generate additional revenue over the next, whatever, five, seven years. And you can get comfortable with some of the prices that are being paid. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean that everything right now is, a, is being appropriately priced, but certainly you can still find deals that are worth what's being asked right now. Yeah. So then I think then the, the trick is trying to figure out, okay, what are these assets that given this inflated price that I, I just can't do anything to really increase the revenue high enough to get over that initial mistake, right? And so you want to avoid those. So if it's, like, for example, a real estate property, if it's 100% occupied and rents are at or above market and you're paying a big price, 
there's probably not much you're going to be able to do in the near term to make up for that initial overpayment to make the numbers work. So there you kind of have to either you you have a 20-year hold and you just want to own that piece of property in that market and you're going to have to just get comfortable with not making any cash flow in the, over the next five, 10 years, or you got to pass. Yeah. And that's, I feel like real, I'm always so jealous of how clean and, and, and uh, clear real estate is because I feel like on the private equity side, when you're buying an operating business, it gets a little fuzzier, right? You can do some hand waving and say, Hey, look, you know, there's this other market we can go into. Or, hey, we can launch this product or there's another geography or, you know, whatever the market's growing at this, at this rate. It's, it's a little, it's a little, it's a little more uh, predictor or sort of subjective, I should say, a little more finger in the wind. So again, you just have to be ultra, you know, very careful that you really do dig into the assumptions and believe the assumptions that go behind the growth story. Yeah. And it, you know, it can happen in real estate too. People can get fall in love with a piece of property or they can have other motivators that are forcing them to put money to work and to overpay. They just have to put the money to work. Maybe it's tax. Maybe it's, they, they don't want it sitting in the bank account. Right. So it can happen. And you see this often with, uh, with foreign buyers too, when they come into a market like San Francisco or Washington, D.C., New York, and you know their own country, they're, they don't have as great of an investment opportunity. So they come in here and they grossly overpay for something in a, in a trophy location. Because uh, they're willing to accept a lower rate of return. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know the history of sort of asset prices and private equity because I haven't been in it very long. But I do, you know, there's plenty of deals you can point to where a bunch of very smart folks believed in a growth story around something and it just, you know, it didn't materialize, I guess. I mean, I guess what's, you know, what's been in the news lately is, uh, is it Sears, right? I mean, uh, clearly it was a very smart investor in that deal who believed that there was opportunity to grow that business. Yeah. Eddie Lampert. It just didn't, didn't happen. Eddie yeah. Lampert was, you know, the golden boy of Wall Street, right? He, everything he touched turned to gold. And, and this was like, I don't know, what, like a 15 year investment for him, something crazy like that, where he basically put his whole, his whole future and most of his company on this one giant bet and very smart guy. <laughs> And it just did not work. Yeah, he'll be fine though, right? Oh, yeah, he'll be fine. <laughs> he'll still be able to keep the lights on. So he he probably didn't. It's debatable whether or not he overpaid when he initially bought Sears, but uh, he certainly didn't buy a company that he could grow. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so it'll be interesting to see how deals that are getting done now in, in 2018, 2017, 2019, whatever that's going to look like. It'll be interesting to see how those play out. But look, we're not going to know for another you know four, five, six, seven years, and so. Uh, there are still deals to be done out there. So good luck. Thanks for listening to The Alternative Investor. Since you've made it this far, you should take a second to subscribe to the podcast and join our email list. There you'll receive additional insights and insider access to the world of alternative investments. Just visit thealternativeinvestorshow.com.